It's Friday, and that means it's time for our weekly news recap, where we bring you up to speed on the top local stories that you should know, but you might have missed. Mayor Lightfoot says the Columbus statue will soon make its way back to Grand Park. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is expected to announce she'll tap Deborah Witzberg to lead the office responsible for investigating government misconduct. Willie Wilson has announced yet another gasoline giveaway, this time offering a million dollars worth of fuel. Willie Wilson's recently held four town hall meetings. He's asked attendees whether they want him to mount another campaign for mayor. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot just announcing $12.5 million in transportation cost relief. We're striking the right balance uh, to make sure that we're bringing relief to a wide swath of folks across our city in every neighborhood. So many stories to dive into and I cannot do it alone. Here in studio to take us behind the headlines is WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Egoin. Welcome back, Kimberly. Nice to meet you. In person. Right. Such a pleasure. Also here, Tina Spondelis, chief political reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Nice to meet you, Tina. Nice to meet you, too. So Mayor Lightfoot made headlines for her plan to ease pain at the gas pumps for voters. Tina, what can you tell us about Chicago Moves? Um, Chicago Moves, she, the uh, Mayor Lightfoot announced it yesterday. It's $12.5 million, as you heard um, so it will be prepaid gift cards. It's $150 gift cards, and there will be different waves of this. Uh, it's a, a rolling lottery, and it's intended to kind of help Chicagoans throughout the summer because we will probably have really high gas prices throughout the summer. We're not sure what's going to happen um, in Ukraine. There's a million factors affecting this. Um, and the Biden administration is trying to help out with this again. Mm-hmm. Um, they tapped some strategic petroleum reserves again. So we'll, we might see a little help, but we just don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah, this giveaway comes after Lightfoot's plan to temporarily suspend a three cents a gallon increase in the city's gasoline tax stalled in city council, right? Absolutely. And the same thing's happening in the General Assembly as well. Yeah, definitely. When you're talking about dealing with uh, taking a a rollback on taxes, it's going to have a major impact on revenue, but also logical people will start saying, do you really need that tax? If you can just remove it for a little while, then why are we paying this? Yeah. Kimberly, of course, the, the mayor's gift card lottery, it's coming right on the heels of two Not one, but two massive gas giveaways by millionaire businessman Willie Wilson. That's fueling speculation that he might be running for mayor. What do you think? Yeah, and also he's supposed to be announcing his intentions on April 11th. I'm hoping to get the exclusive. <laughs> um, but if you if you if you think about the two giveaways, you know, back to back, over a hundred and uh, excuse me, a million and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gas given away to anyone, which is completely different from what the mayor is proposing. You have to have a certain income level for hers. But I think that yeah, I think she he. Uh, Will, Willie Wilson beat her to the punch. Yeah. And I, I think that she got he got them really uh, moving to think about how to be benevolent. We're not used to the city of Chicago being this benevolent to us. So, yeah, it, it definitely looks like there's a move to, to run. Take it back a little bit. Remind us who Willie Wilson is. So Willie Wilson is a businessman. He's also a minister and he has a, a major company that deals in all types of, for example, masks. We found that out a few years ago when he was giving out masks, um, but also just a, a major trade company um, and he sells a lot of products and he also is a politician. He has run for office several times before. I will say this. I had to go and look back at, at how well he did when he ran for mayor the last time. He won quite a few of the black wards and I mean like yeah. really cleaned their clocks with 14 different candidates in that race. So he's not someone to just blow off. So do you think this gas giveaway is essentially a, a way to 
by support, by votes. You know, and that's the thing. I, I don't know, you know, anyone who would like to get free gas will take the free gas. They're not going to lick it who's giving it to them. So I don't know how that necessarily translates. But the one thing that may translate is, as I mentioned before, we're not used to a city giving us anything to ease our pain, which is something very new right now. <laughs> yeah. So this idea of a person stepping up and saying, I want to help with my own money, not your taxpayer money, but with my own money, mm-hmm. that may change a few minds. Do you think that we'll see another Willie Wilson giveaway? Probably. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're going to one up. So it'll be fun to be a Chicagoan or a Chicagoland area resident for the next until the election. Yeah. He says if the prices at the pump keep rising, he's prepared to spend no less than one million dollars on a third giveaway. You're listening to the weekly news recap here on Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons, and our panel today includes WVON commentator Kimberly Egoen and Chicago Sun-Times Sun chief political reporter Tina Svondelis. All right, Tina, the mayor reignited a monumental debate this week, saying that she fully expects the controversial Columbus statue is going to be returned to its now empty pedestal in Grant Park. So give us the backstory on this statue. Sure. Um, I did enjoy some jokes on Twitter about this, that people are like, why is she doing this now? Like, there's so many problems. What were they saying? Like, people have forgotten about it, and she kind of brought it back into Mm. the forefront. But it was always going to happen because she did, uh, back in 2020, um, when there were a lot of protests, uh, people kind of stormed uh, the statue in Grant Park. And uh, it was removed. And there was a lot of police officers who were injured. So it, it created this whole thing. There's another one in Little Italy. Um, I think it's called Arago Park. Arigo. I'm sorry. I'm a print girl on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that committee was useful because they identified many statues in the city that have uh, troubled history. Problematic um, statues. Yes. Yeah. And so there are a bunch of them. I think there's 40 something like that. So these will, these will these will be in the forefront. It is good to discuss. Um, the Illinois State Capitol has removed some. They removed it a couple years ago. Uh, the U.S. Capitol has removed them. So this is something that is in the air. It is important. It's good to have this discussion. And there is a committee that's looking into it. Yeah. Well, do we have any other details so far about it returning to Grant Park? Uh, she has not talked too much about that. It, I mean, I think that she's anticipating, I think this was kind of like a little trial balloon of, hey, we're talking about this again and yeah. we're going to get it back and we want to figure out and the best way to do And that mention of it. like, you know, we'll have to put in place a security plan. Well, the thing is, if you really think about this, I think it's another one of those election year uh, giveaways. I mean, if you think about it, but then also let's not forget about the text and the emails and the information that came out around this with the Columbus Day in which she made some really disparaging <laughs> remarks uh, about the discussions that she was having with people about this. Very flagrant. Yeah. Um, so I think that that may have been embarrassing and w- took this into almost, uh, you can't say racist, but eth- ethnic issue. So I, that I think that's why this is resurfacing, along with we're in almost election year. Yeah. Well, you know, Tina brought up the events of last summer when the statue first came down, and so did Mayor Lightfoot. Let's listen. That statue comes back, which I fully expect that it will, that we have a safety plan in place. I'm not going to do anything that puts our officers in harm's way. I will probably be forever haunted by the experience of the vigilantes who attacked our officers uh, in Grant Park that summer. Kimberly, what's your read on how people feel about that statue? Like, what are you hearing from your listeners? I don't see 
well, from what we're hearing, we're not hearing much about it on our station, I'll be honest with you. But I, I do understand that there are a lot of people who are saying that the statue of Christopher Columbus, this is antiquated. We have had so much history since we've had Columbus Day, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that day, and I remember the frozen water bottles and the umbrellas that people brought prepared to attack the police, which was a, a terrible show. But the idea that you're putting the statue back up, I just I don't I don't know how that works. And then are we paying for security to guard a statue that is already down? That is and, the question. Yeah. Yeah, what is it going to be, you know, barbed wire surrounding how does that it? Like what, how does that work? The, it's funny because the, the, this Italian-American group didn't know about this. So it was kind of a decision that she made on her own. Yeah. Like, reporters went to them. They're like, oh, that's great. We didn't know about this. Wow. So it's kind of interesting. All right, Tina, the uh, Chicago's mayoral election, that's less than a year away, as we've mentioned. So does this statue controversy, do you think that it has more to do with politics then than, than public art? I think she's probably taking a look back at the last couple of years and the things that, you know, raised a lot of attention and the things that she kind of has to work on. Obviously, crime is a gigantic issue in the city's finances and whether COVID comes back um, in full force. Mm -hmm. So I do think that they're taking her political team is likely taking an accounting of what are the things that are going to make people mad? What can I how can I repair this going forward? Switching gears, Lightfoot was also in the news for naming a new inspector general. So the city's watchdog job's been vacant since last October. That's when Joe Ferguson uh, stepped down after 12 years on the job. So tell us more about Deborah Witzberg. Uh, well, she's getting paid a lot of money, and I know we love to see the salaries up there. Uh-oh. Check. It's that's such a reporter answer. It is. Because <laughs> I know that's the first thing you looked up. Oh, yeah. It was $178,000, but it is a very difficult job. Mm. You are the face of everything. You are blamed for things. You are tasked to look into all the corruption and the bad things that are happening. And if you don't do it right, people will go after you. So her name is Deborah Witzberg. She was a deputy under uh, Joe Ferguson, who... Uh, who left last year, and obviously the mayor and him did not get along very well. Um, and there was a lot of things that he did, I believe with Chicago police, um, a lot of investigations that did not make her look very good. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that she chose a deputy of Joe Ferguson's, um, but obviously that's like a continuum of of work. So that's a good thing for the city, I think, because she worked under him. She knows what, what they were doing. There was also um, another person that they had been considering who is from outside of Chicago. Who's they that? have not named who that oh, is. It's okay. pretty interesting. But uh, people seem to think that it's best to have this uh, Chicago expert investigating Chicago. Um, she does have a, some, I believe she was at the Cook County State's Attorney as a prosecutor before this. I see. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on Deborah Witzberg? Good luck to her. Good luck. (laughs) There is no aspect of city government that she will not be investigating. We saw that through Joe Ferguson, all of the different agencies. And even when he gave almost his exit interview, just discussing Mm -hmm. some of the things that he came across. She's she but but she has been in the office. And so she understands that pressure. Yeah. Doesn't seem like an easy job whatsoever. No. All right. Let's turn to covid because why not? Why not? Cases in Chicago have been on the rise again. They're up 34 percent over the previous week. So how are public officials responding to those numbers, Tina? Uh, They're being cautiously optimistic that we are not going into another wave, but we are all scared. Um, Yeah. We're we're seeing a lot of things. We're seeing other variants. Masks have come off. Masks have come off. People are happy in restaurants cars. Right. So it's it's a wait and see approach. You also saw that they closed some of those state testing sites. And that's um, 
you know, the demand wasn't as high. The number of people going in there was pretty low, but also federal funding is running out. So they're going to have to take the lead or they're going to have to follow what's going on in the world and what the federal government is doing and see what's best for our city, which was hit pretty hard, obviously. Yeah, last week we heard from Dr. Allison Arwady and she said that the city remains in good control and that it is not surprising to see a slight increase in cases as these mask mandates are lifted. Are you getting whiplash, Kimberly, from this yo-yo yeah. effect? And and it's just because of the sheer amount of time that we've been involved in this and the idea of the masks in particular, for example, in the schools, because we did have a couple of schools who had to go back to the, the protocols because of, of quote-unquote outbreaks. So, you know... I, at this point, people are just fatigued. Yeah. They are just exhausted. And because how do you approach this, right? right. Like, I mean, you, you want to give a little bit of freedom. You mm-hmm. want to start to open things back up. You want to sort of give people a, a way out. But then, you know, you do it with the, with the anticipation that, yeah, we're probably going to have to. It's right around the corner. Shut things down again or, you know. Um, you know, COVID cases are up, as I mentioned, but COVID testing is at an all-time low. Did you know that? It, it's prompting the state to announce that it's closing its 10 remaining community-based testing sites. I guess we should see that as good news. Uh, Hopefully, if the numbers plateau, because there are organizations, I know one in particular, that is basing activities still around testing, which is something that we always thought many people were going to do. But if you're closing the, the actual places where you can get tested, then, you know, you, you'll have lines again, it, 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 you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a good thing, but a, a, we, you have to offer grace in situations like this because we've never been in this before. Right. We've been thrown into it and there's going to be ebbs and flows. Yeah. What about your listeners? Are they feeling confident that the, the pandemic is over? I, you know, I think that people in general are still a lot are still holding on to their masks for certain situations. <laughs> right. Um, and, but then as, as also you, you'll see people without masks, a lot of people without masks. So now the interesting thing is to go into a building and it says just if someone has a mask, these are the reasons why they may wear a mask. So just be nice. <laughs> yeah, and that's what we're experiencing. All right, Tina, it's been a week since the city council approved a new committee to vet the three final downtown casino proposals. So do we have any more details about how that committee will work? Well, we know that as city council things go, people are always mad at everything. So there's this new (laughs) casino committee and they're now mad at that she was able to choose who's on it. Um, They think that maybe she's already chosen her favorite one. Um, There's all sorts of accusations going on. But the most important thing that we learned, which we learned last week, is that there are the three sites. And some people believe that her pick is the 78, and that's the one by the Chicago River. Okay. Um, there's That's near Roosevelt and Clark. And then there's the Bally's bid, which people think would make the most money for the state and city. And then there's the Hard Rock one, which is by Soldier Field, which they believe the state would have to pay more into. And remember, the whole point of this, not the whole point, but a huge point, is to help the city pay pension. So this is really important. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that goes into this. So she should be careful. They are a little behind. But the sooner they get things going, the sooner the city will get some of that pension help. And think about how long it took to get a casino passed in the Illinois General Assembly. Right. Forever and ever and ever and ever. So this is not a super surprise that you're seeing this kind of slow down because they're going to see resistance in any of the sites that they pick. Yeah. As you alluded to already, people are upset. Um, City Council's Latino Caucus sent a letter to the mayor this week. They said that they're not happy with this casino committee. Talk to us a bit more about their issues. Uh, There are certain um, aldermen who had uh, kind of like... The bids were in their area, mm-hmm. so they ha- they talked to their 
their constituents. They know exactly what the problems are. So they want to be represented. So they wanted more of a process where they could be more represented as opposed to the mayor handpicking people. Um, and that's going to be an issue, like I said, going forward with any of the selections. And, you mm-hmm. know, um, there was something also that was brought up when it was narrowed down before this last time. And at least one or two of the bids, there are minority participants in the initial bid, but with the caveat that some years down the line, they will be forced to sell their shares back to the majority Mm. owner. Forced to, okay? And so I think that that is something that is of great concern because we know that a lot of black people, Latino, a lot of people are going to use their money and and give their money away to this casino. Oh, sure. But will they have any ownership in it? It just doesn't sound quite fair. Are there concerns that this committee of of 34 aldermen, that that it's simply going to be a rubber stamp for the the mayor's casino pick? Well, that that seems to be... I'm not sure. Like, I mean, they're not going to have their own budget and they're they're not going to be bypassed by other commissions. So they're not totally in charge. It kind of seems like... She's doing the thing where she just wants to make sure these people voice everything before the decision is made. So it's not all on her. Yeah. Well, let's turn to something that we don't talk about too often. The Illinois Prisoner Review Board. Why is this group getting so much attention, Kimberly? Well, with the Prisoner Review Board, they have a lot of responsibilities. Uh, The one thing that you would everyone would know is that they decide whether someone should be paroled, whether someone should be released. But they also do a lot of uh, a lot of work with dealing with, for example, computing good time or deciding if someone has broken their parole, should they go back? Well, right now they are down several members and they just uh, declined to actually appoint someone to the board. Mm -hmm. And then someone else also resigned. And this is in the middle of this idea that uh, Governor Pritzker nominated these people in like 2019 and then pulled a a maneuver because he couldn't get them actually appointed to renominate them. Mm. And it's it's at a point that they've been serving on the board. But some of the decisions that they've made have been very controversial because of how incredibly entrenched we are in criminal justice right now. So paroling some people in which other people didn't feel like they should have been paroled. So now there is an issue that they are down members. They They may not have a quorum in order to deal with the actual business that they're supposed to do. That's right, because at this point, the 15 seat board is down to six people and I don't even know if they have enough people to function. They they really don't have enough and that goes to this idea that some people will automatically get out because there are not the number of required people on the board to make a decision whether or not those people should get out or stay in. Well, let's dig a little bit more into this. So as you you mentioned, uh, Illinois eliminated parole in 1978, right? Um, what's gotten a lot of attention here with this story, Kimberly, are a couple of high-profile releases that have happened in the last two years. Can you shed any light on those? Well, yeah. So the one thing that uh, a lot of conservatives have mentioned, although the person who did not get appointed, it was bipartisan. Okay, there were quite a few Democrats as well. But one thing that they are saying is that um, Wilson, Miss Wilson, who was on the board, and she's the one who did not get appointed, she actually voted in favor for what they are saying are people who are cop killers. And we know that this is such a contentious time dealing with police officers who are being injured or murdered while they're on the job. 
but also this idea of who is allowed to get out. Have they been fully vetted? Have they, yeah. have they, you know, gone through the entire process of being remorse and et cetera. So it's those types of cases that they have looked at and said, we, we don't think that this is a, a, a worth putting her back on this board. Yeah, I mean, these releases include a woman who killed her two daughters. Yes. And a man who killed an Illinois state trooper. Yes. So Republican lawmakers and a lot of suburban Democrats as well, they're, they, they're using this uh, nomination of the, from the governor um, to, to sort of make him appear soft on crime. And we're seeing that, and we're also seeing the commercials. Election time, once again, oh, the for ads. everyone. Um, and, you know, when you come off of a census recount... Everyone runs. So everyone is concerned about their seat and whether or not they're going to retain it. And you do not want to look as though you are soft on crime. Mm-hmm. And all of those seats are up for election. All today. of them. All of those Illinois Democrats who voted no for this for this person, who is, I'm sure you've read, who is Sasha Malia's godmother. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's just interesting to have kind of a clout pick who is very, very qualified. And that's what the governor said. He, these people are very qualified. They're just their decisions are being looked at. And in a magnifying glass at a time that when they're usually not. Right. And I will say with the uh, people getting out, they did tell me a couple of days ago that there's these revocation hearings and mm-hmm. that you only need three members of the board to be able to do those. So that they're able to do a minimum, but they're not I able see. to do those normal hearings. It's called en banc hearings, mm-hmm. I believe, um, every month. So like there are prisoners who are up for potential parole. And those hearings are being uh, suspended. So that's not good for the prisoners who actually have a chance at parole. Um, And this is, of course, the second time in a week that state Senate Democrats rejected a nominee of the governor's. But he blamed Republicans. Let's listen. To have Republicans attack them and their character and their biographies. To have Republicans essentially trying to tear apart this agency of government. I mean, this is what the GQP has been all about, tearing government apart. GQP. Sounds like a rap group. (laughs) That's Um, what I was thinking. But one of those appointees was also, and you know, this is interesting that he promoted this person, Max Serta, who uh, was convicted of a double murder when he was 16 and he was paroled in 1998. So we're talking about a Senate that has a supermajority for Democrats. Right. So it's interesting that he tore into the the GQP. Yeah. And, and, you know, crime's an issue that we all care about, of course. So, So do you think that this prisoner review board controversy can really could actually hurt Pritzker in, in November? Hmm. I don't know. What I do you think, think it's Tina? too early. And yeah. I do think uh, he is planning to reappoint members. They're done with the adjournment of session is April 8th, but should be a little bit longer. And he will reappoint people um, and then they'll have to come back and uh, nominate them or confirm them in the fall. So he will get the people back in place. Crime will forever be an issue in the election. I'm not sure if the prisoner review board thing will kind of last. Mm-hmm. Well, continuing with state politics, the uh, Illinois legislature was in session this week in Springfield. What were some of the main takeaways, Tina? Well, we're, we have a deadline of April 8th for the budget. That's the biggest deal. We have not seen any sort of super language on that, which is Kind of, it's huge, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be you know hopefully the last year that they're dealing with all that federal funding from COVID, which has been good and bad because it's been a whole process of determining how to use that. So that's been the main issue of is what who gets the money, who needs the money, mm-hmm. um, who lost money. Uh, so it's all of that. Um, there have not been any ethics bill, which Republicans are always calling for in election years, which are usually needed as we've seen a million federal corruption trials of Illinois politicians. So that we haven't seen a lot. We haven't seen a lot of crime legislation um, and we have not seen the budget yet.
Wow. Well, I know, I know that they are talking. There's a lot of bills. It just seems from my perspective who I don't like you, you know, watch this as closely, but it just seems like there's a lot to talk about. It really is always. And and it, like you just said, with the budget, they'll drop that at the very last. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, here are the 500 pages. Let's do a story now. Yes. <laughs> right, right. You're listening to the weekly news recap here on Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And our panel today includes WVON commentator Kimberly Egoin and Chicago Sun-Times chief political reporter Tina Spondalis. All right, Tina, I want to take a look at a couple development stories here. Uh, the first one comes to you. We've got a deal finally for the downtown Thompson Center. So tell us what's going to become of that massive futuristic looking glass building in the heart of the loop. Yes. Uh, so people love or hate this building. <laughs> um, if you're a history or architecture buff, you think it's very cool. I like it. Yes. You know, it's uh, nice. It's part of Chicago history. If you work in there, you hate it. Um, everyone who I know who works in that building has like some sort of heater or an air conditioning right next to them. You cannot control the temperature because of that the amazing glass mm-hmm. ceiling. It's, it's good to look at. Is beautiful, but it's a pain. Um, and so this new design, there will be an actual like curtain wall over that. So this this developer found a way to kind of regulate that. Um, the state is actually, the, it will only have 30% space there as opposed to what it mostly has now. Mm-hmm. And they're actually going to be moving a lot of people to a different building. It's the old Pepsi building on Monroe. Oh. Um, and next month, there's also, there are some employees that are already there. Um, and, and What's the lot. thinking behind that? Uh, get them out of a building. I believe that uh, with this one, there was a property tax issue where because the state was owning it, we were losing a lot of money on potential okay. property taxes. And I think that's it's all about the um, evaluating what is the most effective way. And I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to say cheap, but mm-hmm. the cheapest way to get out of this building, get something else, get a better deal, because this was so um, cost consuming for them because it was just this look at that space like that's all this air it's just like so much space that they and it's very expensive to maintain and kimberly a federal judge has dismissed the lawsuit that could have blocked a portion of the south side's jackson park from becoming part of the obama center what was the lawsuit about so the lawsuit which has been we've been talking about this piece of land since 2018 um, but the lawsuit is just saying that it's it, the parks are going to be irreparably harmed by this museum campus coming there. And in this case, the judge is saying, no, there has been enough land that has been donated or enough land that has been um, given back so that that is not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. The the actual party that is suing is Protect Our Parks. And it sounds like they're like, oh, no, we're just in the beginning of this. And so all the rest of us are like, OK, the beginning in 2022. Right. The, park, <laughs> the, the building, the uh, Obama Library uh, was supposed to open last year. And, and this is still going on. So they are planning to appeal already. OK, well, let's turn to something completely different, Kimberly. A Whitney Young teacher oh. suspended after hanging a black doll with a cord around its neck in front of the classroom. What else do we know? Well, what we know is that the teacher, although he has not been named, according to the teacher, he did that because someone left the doll in the room and he wanted to let the students see and someone to say, that's my doll. So as you said, he wrapped a cord around his neck and hung it. So that's his version of a lost and found? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, so, but another teacher took issue with it. I'm sure students probably said this is what's happening. Another teacher took issue with it and they, uh, 
cussing, going back and forth match ensued. And students were just really upset that this is happening. And and also, Sasha, and if you think about it, this is a, this is the, in the same week that we just passed the anti-lynching bill that we have been trying to get for well over 100, 100 years. years. Um, so it sounds, you know, it could be a microaggression. So we're going to see what happens. But he has been suspended. He has been placed on leave. Um, the usual statement that we have no place for, for this or for our students to feel unsafe or racism or anything like that. Those yeah. have all been spoken. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Hearing with that. that he's been problematic too in, in, in the past. other issues, he's spoken out about Black Lives Matter and other things yes. that just sort of make this look like, yeah, you're probably yeah we're we're trying to be racist with that. Uh, Tina looks like Democrats have their eye on Chicago as a potential host for the 2024 Democratic National Convention. What are you hearing? This is a super fun one. I do think it's Chicago and the state like creating their own tourism campaign because they know it'll be good for them. It'll bring in some money that was lost during the pandemic. Our hotel and our tourism industry were hit super hard and all the lost conventions that takes like years for them to recuperate that and to get back. So I do think this is them creating this, but obviously Chicago would be an awesome city to host the You think we'd be a strong contender? I think so. Yes. Although um, obviously we have some issues right now. Uh, So they're going to have to, the DNC will have to determine whether things like that, whether carjackings and terrible crime things that are going on right right now are somewhere that you want to bring as a highlight of a top Democratic city. And that's the issue because in the past, those things were happening just confined to certain neighborhoods that no one from a convention would venture to. But we're seeing them in broad daylight in downtown area. It's happening all over. North side, downtown, all All over. over. So you think those might be some of our shortcomings then to, yeah. to winning this Absolutely. bid. Absolutely. And it's still in the beginning process. They have not put out the uh, bid, the actual formal bid yet. They should be uh, putting that out in a couple of weeks, the DNC, and then we'll find out more later this fall. Well, before I let you both go, why don't you tell us what stories you'll be watching in the coming days? You first, Kimberly. Oh, we've got huge stories. Well, you know, it is the 100th anniversary of the birth of Mayor Harold Washington, who in many people's minds. He's our forever mayor. So we will be highlighting some of the stories about what made him so uh, beloved to, to the entire community and some of the activism that surrounded his tenure in the city of Chicago. That's awesome. one major thing we'll be working on. What about you, Tina? I've been uh, put right back into the campaign I mode. mean, what, first week on the job? <laughs> yes, let's my first let's week be clear. <laughs> first week back in Chicago. Yeah, so I cover the Illinois governor, so I'll be covering everything he does every day, um, end of budget things, um, the Republican uh governor's race the gubernatorial primary i'm on that there's so many ads coming out they're spending lots of money the um, democratic governor's association just bought a huge ad um, attacking richard Irvin. so that and it is april the primary is june 28th so it'll be something every day nice well that's it for the weekly news recap thank you to our panel today wvon commentator kimberly agoin and chicago sun times chief political reporter tina Svondelis. thank you so much and have a great weekend ladies you too Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.